Hello and welcome to season two of the Wednesday show, a show where we talk about the design development, marketing and business of digital products. I'm super excited to start this season. Um, like I promised in the last episode, we're starting a guest series. So welcome to episode one. We're inviting people we know, friends, customers and acquaintances. We're going to be talking to them about the companies they have built, learn about their products, teams, successes and failures. With me today is Neil. Uh, Neil and I have known each other for over a decade. He is the CTO and founder of Entangles. Neil, welcome to the show. Hey, hey Ali. Thank you. Firstly, thank you for the invitation. No, no, I was looking forward to this. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been inviting you. I finally got, got the time to, you know, say that this is important and we're putting ourselves on a schedule and doing this uh, consistently. Um, so yeah, you always need that, that the thing to just get it done, start off with it. Yeah, we just need to start. start correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Sure. Um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about Entangles? Sure. Um, so um, Entangles, uh, we are a, a digital twin in the mobility space. Okay. Uh, now, what that basically means is, uh, so when we when we kind of started off with um, Entangles, the whole idea started with, uh, you know, in 2015, 16, mm -hmm. you know, this whole connected vehicle ecosystem or IoT. Yeah. Uh, was like the in thing. And um, so from there, we kind of uh, were one of my other co-founders, Anup, he had one issue where his uh, kid was missing for like 30 to 40 minutes. Okay. And, um, you know, after after that point in time, he thought, you know, there should be these trackers, child trackers. Yeah. And then he went into the market trying to search for things and he found out there aren't really very good options. And, uh, you know, from there, he... Um, you know, got in touch with Jessie, someone that she knows, and uh, uh, she's she's developed hardware, she's developed firmware, you know, for medical devices. Yeah. And um, and then from there, you know, things just started off. They kind of built something which connects to the server, sends data. There were things around being able to kind of uh, work on the local uh, telecom provider, trying to kind of uh, work through the connections at this particular level. And then um, after that, we, we thought, now that this problem is kind of solved, mm -hmm. uh, what do we do? As in then we, this was way back when, uh, you know, Anup was there in his previous company, that's in Daviska, where I used to work as well. Okay. Um, there are a lot of cars in the parking. <laughs> so we thought, you know what, why don't we kind of, you know, connect to the cars and see okay. how we can collect the data and send it across to the server. And this is just for tracking. And this is, this was in general, I mean, we thought general tracking is fine. But then, uh, you know, with IoT, you can actually connect anything to the internet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, someone thought, why don't we do it with uh, cars? And cars are available over there. Mm. And um, so then, uh, you know, that's what we did. Mm. Uh, so we basically kind of did the collection of data from the cars and sending it to the server. Mm. Um, and But over a time period, what ended up happening was the idea was good. From a technology perspective, it's a cool thing, right? First time when you see like data from here and you see it on the server and mm. things coming in. Um, but then there's no real business use case. If you think about it. So tell me something like, at what point did you get involved? So Anoop was out there solve, trying to solve this problem right. for himself and yes. 
he found a solution and he's like okay let me try it with cars were you involved from the beginning so i um, so with jeshri uh, she did the hardware piece and then you know anup was thinking about how how do i kind of get this data onto the server and kind of uh, build that particular piece okay so then uh, i was uh, i was into visca from previously from i mean from my previous startup that was a passive right which was kind of building a backend as a service correct and uh, so i generally keep on talking to i used to you know talk to anup about a lot of different things and he said that i'm thinking about this why don't you you know try this out mm. and i thought it's a cool thing okay uh, you know getting some data from some remote device and so and that's that's how we kind of started where okay uh, i got involved built the server got the data in mm. and uh, again you know that whole thing about seeing a remote device which is kind of kept over there and mm. getting data over here so that's that's where i got kind of involved okay so really early on i think you know before there was any business smart absolutely it was it was purely from a technology perspective yeah. that that whole cool thing yeah and okay so you guys were still trying to figure out like what is the business viability here yes what is the mission now so interestingly you know when we started um, the at that point in time even when we we picked up the car uh, you know data over there <laughs> the whole thing was also being able to kind of um, come up with how do we figure out how a car fails or when a car fails all right i mean it was just a thought that um, we at that point in time like what are we going to do with the data that comes in from there mm. and what's the use case mm. right so the first thing that generally comes down is either there are two things either how is the vehicle performing mm. or how is the uh, is the vehicle going to kind of break down mm. right? it's avoiding inconvenience mm. and all of that so so that's that's where we kind of started off from and hence like a business use case perspective from there from a passenger vehicle perspective we didn't really have anything now if you think about it generally cars are uh, parked for like 94% of the time mm. right so and uh, no one would really pay a good amount to kind of just uh, and the issues in general with cars are very less when it comes to you know the 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 possibility of a breakdown yeah right so uh, and um, anyway so when we kind of you know started this whole thing um, during one of these we these points we were in satara that's uh, you know anup's hometown okay and uh, and there we kind of show one of these truck showrooms we kind of, we saw that yeah and there was a truck standing over there mm. and uh, it was close to anup's house so we just you know went over there and uh, surprisingly amit so there is Uh, there is one of the other co-founders that's Aman, mm-hmm. and uh, there's Mudassir also that I used to work with him, and both of them are from PACT by the way. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so they they actually were doing a finally a project which is about collecting data from vehicles, and that's how we kind of got in touch with them. Okay. And uh, so anyway, you know, we were there. We saw this port where the data is collected from, and it was like the same port that's there in the vehicles. So. Okay. Uh, you know, we connected to the truck, and this is the first time we found any error. मतलब any sorry any errors uh, like fault codes etc. Okay. So and this was a truck that was not yet sold, which means the brand new vehicle mm. which had yeah, you know traveled from the manufacturing unit to Sadara. Mm. And uh, so you know we asked like one of the local mechanics over there that here's the issue. 
uh, you know what is the impact of this issue on the vehicle okay so uh, the mechanic said that the issue might not really cause a failure but that would have an impact on the efficiency of the vehicle if you get that fixed right uh, the the vehicle efficiency can uh, you know improve anywhere from uh, 10 to 12% now from a commercial vehicle perspective it is significant and by efficiency you mean okay right so now now imagine a truck that operates anywhere between 5 to 10000 kilometers a month yeah. right and uh, that's a large it's it's yeah. a large amount so that's you know that's where the whole thing about i don't know it seems interesting you know this is probably a business use case yeah and that's how we kind of got into um the commercial vehicle side mm. we started kind of collecting data from commercial vehicles and uh, and then apart from efficiency from the start it was about breakdowns so we started getting in touch with the fleet operators and talking about what are the issues that they have mm. so and how was it that we can actually kind of predict these so and that's how we kind of started off from the start it was collecting the data and being able to predict uh, failures okay and efficiency was like the next thing which was like immediate uh, improvement so you are on a mission to help fleet owners improve the efficiency of their fleet in a way improve the efficiency and uh, predict any kind of failure so component it, in the end it kind of turned into component level monitoring correct but at that point it and the thought process was how do we you know let the person know that your vehicle is going to break down okay so and give me an understanding of like the fleet owners that you are working with like how big are these fleets when we started off at that point in time it was um again you know we we somehow got in touch with a fleet operator mm-hmm. and um, these are those you know your initial uh, what do you call your power users or you know those who are always open to technology right earlier adopters earlier adopters right so they they used to operate like a fleet of 100 150 trucks okay, okay. Uh, so industrially at that point in time they're 150 now they're close to 400 at this point they've grown with you yes okay and um, so in the start we we seen that the early adopters are generally the 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 fleets in this range who are 100 to 150 because mm-hmm. they do have the bandwidth of uh, they'll always have someone who's you know wondering these are my problems correct um you know i with technology these problems can be solved okay right? so they just needed someone to basically you know help them or build the technology for them right right so uh, the the higher ones are the the ones which are basically a lot more bigger mm. generally their problems are slightly different so absolutely right so it is that we anywhere between 100 to 200 uh, buses or trucks yeah uh, that's where we had the early adopters who were you know open how do we you know they think about how sh- how can we get the next stage yeah and how do we solve these fleet problems so that we can scale our mm. trucks and buses properly so you have a product now that is now understanding the fault codes that are coming up in the vehicle mm-hmm. you're looking for fleet owners the size of 100 150 or 200 vehicles what is what was that early product like so the early product was absolutely you know that that the vision thing right um any when you go to someone and you sell them what's going to come in the future right, right? <laughs> so um, I remember when you know me and Anup had gone to the first customer mm. trying to pitch to them the idea. 
Yeah. And there was nothing over there. Yeah. I mean, we hadn't really built anything predictive. Yeah. Uh, all that we had was some data from the vehicle and probably a place where we're showing here's the data, right? Mm. And uh, so we went to him. There's a, a black and white uh, page which was built using like Bootstrap. Mm-hmm. Imagine using Bootstrap CSS at that point in time. Yeah. And then on the left hand side, we just have like, you know, some list of vehicles. Right. Like you select a vehicle and there are some random graphs on the right. Okay. Right. And uh, the, uh, you know, that the customer, so it's uh, AC Pilavinash Cargo uh, in based out of Satara. Okay. And Mr. Bhavan Sherke was, he's the owner. Okay. You know, he was, he was, you know, he's like, he, Tata came to me, you know, Tata Telecom mm-hmm. came to me like 15 years back with GPS. So this was nothing about 2001, 2002. Right. Right. And he's like, I, I tested GPS from that. So, he, he's been an early adopter of technology from the start, mm. right? So, and he's like, I'm always open to technology. Mm. And he, he looked at the page and he's like, I don't understand what you guys are. Okay. <laughs> but I like you guys. Huh. Okay, you, you seem to be talking some sense. Right. And I will help you in terms of you have access to my trucks. Wherever, you know, whenever you want, you come over here, test things out. Mm. And, uh, and you seem to be solving a problem that I have. Okay. Okay. So, uh, if you can help me solve the problem, you know whatever information you require from me, right. I will give it to you. Right. Wow. And uh, and that's how it started. We basically kind of you know went to Satara very frequently, got right. access to his trucks over there, mm. and we used to kind of test, uh, getting the trucks, getting the data, um, talking to the team, understanding when things fail. So we used mm. to take that as an input, mm. go back to the data, uh, look at that. The truck failed over here. Mm. Um, so this was the, you know, the behavior of the data before. And that's how we kind of built algorithms. So, and that's also been interesting where from a predictive vehicle side, right? It's the fault codes definitely is there where the engine itself tells you that this is an issue. Okay. But that's, that's after the issue has occurred. Correct. Right. Uh, we wanted to kind of let them know beforehand. And from a philosophy perspective, it's like, you know, when your body is going to get ill, there are these indicators, mm-hmm. right? And from you yourself, you get it. You know, you there are these times when you say that, I think I'm going to get sick today. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the same philosophy uh, that we kind of used. Okay. Right. So, um, you know, different operators or different fleets have different kind of problems, okay. right? From ACPL, they said that this is our issue. Mm-hmm. Um, then we went, then one of our other customers is Prasanna Purple, um, one of the bus operators, well-known bus operators out of Pune. And there also we had very good input from their maintenance team. And they said that this is our problem. Can you solve this for us? When I say this, they like engine heating, overheating is a problem. Can you kind of, you know, solve that for us? Got it. And uh, again, they were open to technology. They were open to say, so, you know, you let us know what input or you know what do you require for you to kind of build this for us and so uh, you know aman aman he is the in-house mechanical expert and also the data science expert so very interesting combination right and uh, so he used to talk very regularly to sohas nande uh, who's the maintenance guy in purple and get a lot of feedback and that's how we also came to this point mm. where uh, our devices were on the bus we raised our first genuine alert, engine over a predictive alert. Mm. At that point where um, there was no real uh, symptom on the bus, which means that the 
we raise the alert so it's going to happen so these guys called up the driver the driver said there is no issue yeah right so when it predictive the cluster is not saying anything yeah right and uh, some random imagine for from the driver as well as the maintenance team perspective some random software which is being tested is showing some engine temperature alert right right and uh, they didn't really do anything over there of course mm-hmm. right so even we we, we want really show sure ourselves <laughs> and uh, but interestingly like another 20 30 minutes later the mm-hmm. the the vehicle basically broke down yeah. right there's a overheating temperature alert it broke down mm-hmm. now why these guys also took it a little more seriously was because they used to operate the local transport the pmc transport mm-hmm. and they were fined for the breakdown oh yeah right so and that's where that's where this whole thing kind of started you, know, you guys are onto something so you know why don't we start a little more right so that's how all of this it's very interesting because i typically come across stories where a person first finds a problem mm. and gets people to agree to use something and then builds it right. but you guys have sort of done sort of like a somewhere in between where right. you build something and then try to find it's and the reason is uh, no one really in in this whole as you know you know the founding team mm. no one has operated a fleet no yeah Maybe no one's really driven a truck or a bus before. Yeah. Right. All of us were like, "There's some data, and probably there's some problem." Correct. Right. So, um, and and we didn't, we wouldn't really know what to build until unless those people tell us that you know these are the problems that. We yeah. So interestingly, each, for example, we have like four major predictive uh, component level failure algorithms. So you have the engine overheating. There is a battery failure. where we are able to kind of predict whether the battery or the alternator is going to fail mm. right uh, or there is this whole turbo related failure so mm. on diesel vehicles you have turbo which uh, helps kind of give a lot more boost to ensure that the vehicle can cross the speed limit or carry the load mm. so each algorithm you know we would actually be able to tell you that who is the one who told us is a problem huh. and what input did we get from the person to be able to get to this level oh nice right so Um, and that's what every stage mm. right if we and that's what we generally tell people that right now we probably have like 15 20 different features that people use right but for each and every feature you probably have like a reason in terms of who asked for it first oh yeah right and it's a lot of it has not really been us going to people and saying you know here's what we have use it yeah it's more about them then telling us you know this is a problem to help solve this for us mm. and uh, then we basically used our understanding uh, one of the data the mm. one of technology and getting understanding from them in terms of how do they operate their fleet their business and coming up with a good solution for them oh that's amazing now we'll talk more about the solution and like how you guys got into more vehicles and things right. like that right. but talk to me about the initial team so you mentioned a few names right. what did it look like for that version 1 So, Anup was there, right? Right. Anup kind of uh, he's Anup is one of the co-founders of Tabisca. So he's built like two companies before, and uh, so he was there. Jayshree who basically kind of takes care of uh, hardware and firmware, mm-hmm. right? So uh, there's Aman who's basically the data science guy, and uh, he was the one that you met doing yes, the project. He, okay. Yeah, yes, and uh, and then there's Budhasir as well. So Aman and Budhasir were Uh, project partners is mm. in in the final year project. Okay, right. So 
and this is how we kind of started off. And interestingly, if you if you see what's also worked out well was each one has had their own area of expertise, right? So Anup has basically built, uh, you know, has built a company before. So he has um, experience of operations and sales. He right. was the CEO at Aviska. Right. Um, Jayashree has the hardware and the firmware expertise. Mm. Aman has the uh, the data science and the mechanical understanding of how automobiles work. Mm. I've had the experience of basically building like a backend as a service. So from a software and a product, mm. and that's it. And Budhisir also was very good with, you know, backend technologies and uh, building, uh, how do we architect certain things, mm. big data. You know, he used to do quite a lot, teach Hadoop in college itself. Nice. Right. So um, automatically first, the responsibilities were distributed. Naturally, I mean, you know, we didn't really say you were responsible for this, you're responsible for that. It yeah. just happened, right? And that's the beauty of a founding team, right? right? You have very little overlap. Correct. And the trust in the others that, you know, what they're doing, right? they're basically doing the right thing. And you trust them to basically ensure that they are, they will basically get it done, mm. right? And uh, honestly, we, we've, um, when I look back, that's that's one of the things I've seen that, in general, there is a respect and trust for each and every one. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, that's how things have, you know, we've been able to do what we've been able to do. Mm-hmm. So it's been good. Yeah. And it's the same for me. I feel like um, there's just no way that I can build a team right. without people taking up certain aspects right. of what needs to be accomplished themselves, ownership. Right. And I think trust just naturally comes. Correct. Otherwise, it leads to you overhiring for that role. There, there's a lot of overlap. Then there's a management problem, right. and micromanagement, and you end up having no result. Very true. It's uh, as long as, you know, you, you put it correctly. Yeah. As long as everyone is kind of aware that this, this is my ownership. Yeah. I'm responsible for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there's something else, I can talk to the other guy, but the other person responsible for that, mm. uh, it just works out well. So, and, and that's, that's what happened. That was the uh, initial phase. Right. And, uh, you know, that's when we kind of built got the first few customers. Mm. Uh, there are these interesting stories about us traveling to different places, right? right? Satara, uh, then there's this point in time we traveled all the way to Belgao, a day travel from Satara to Belgao. Mm. And getting those uh, devices, you know, over there. So, and us kind of figuring out as we kind of go over there that, you know, there are lots of different factors that come into play when you are interfacing with the vehicles and the electronic components of the vehicle. Right. Right. So, uh, those are interesting times. Learnings as we kind of, you know, get onto the field to like, oh, this exists. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, okay. So, let's shift gears now. So, I have a, I think... We understand like how the initial journey started, how you guys found market fit, how you formed that team. And it's been a good seven, eight years. Yes. Um, what does, I mean, obviously you guys must have a lot of processes and other things in place now, um, a, a number of customers using the product. So you need to have quality checks. So now when you look at the software development process that mm-hmm. is set up, mm-hmm. um, how is it different from before? Um, yeah, just tell me a little bit about like sure. how, how you're looking at quality and things like that. Um, in the start, when uh, from because it's a product, right? And uh, 
and you build as you understand right in terms of what needs to be done um so the whole process was you basically talked to like four people mm-hmm. and uh, you developed that this is probably what i need to do and uh, then you start building it right so that was the process at that point in time mm-hmm. um as and when we've grown now uh, at this point in time we have close to 15000 fleet operators uh we have uh, over 100000 vehicles on the platform we have oem customers so those uh, who manufacture vehicles the the whole device and the software is actually fit on the assembly line and given to at source uh, at source right so and there is this whole other side where the vehicle manufacturers use that data themselves to improve the design of their vehicles nice uh they also uh, they've used the data to basically kind of improve their operations one of the recent uh, data that we actually got was with one of the oems mm. after we uh, you know rolled this out in 2020 mm. um they've actually reduced 14% of their warranty costs right oh okay and that is primarily because they've had data to verify about yeah. warranty right right and uh, so very different use cases mm. same data different use cases so now from a development uh process in the perspective right mm. um the the input of what needs to be built uh mm. different set of customers different kind of input what flow does it really take you know from taking that input understanding the why's of it then coming up with a solution one of the things we uh we have been actually following from the start and that has worked well for us is it's not about what it's not fully about implementing what the customer asks directly because people come to you and they will come to you with i need this right and they'll say and they'll come up with the solution based on whatever that they see sure rather than uh, why so as we grow we are basically trying to instill the whole thing of telling people that first figure out the why mm. right why is it that someone's asking for this and then it once we get that why there is a team Uh, that would basically take that why figure out what's the best approach to solving this problem for the customer mm. uh, for the product as well mm. and then it goes to like the development team and the user experience team and uh, you know in a lot of what we do also has analytics involved it has the firmware or the device the device team involved so getting the data to them and during this whole process there is a lot of assumptions that different people will end up making right so uh, you know one of the the best examples is why we've been able to do what we've been able to do is because for us to predict there has to be us we need to kind of understand the vehicle and the data from the vehicle right and now imagine there is a random third party device that collects the data and sends it to you for someone who's going to work on the data build an algorithm Mm-hmm. right they have no idea about what the device is doing how is it collecting the data in what scenario right over here everyone ended up in the start you know jashi aman mutase we all of us used to work together and actually figure out you know what this is when we are collecting the data if this is behaving like this probably this is the issue so uh which means aman when he was building the algorithms knew the working of the device it he knew when the device resets so when does it not really collect data and that was very uh, crucial for us to be able to build those algorithms 
So ensuring now one of the issues and one of the things that we have to solve is to maintain this cohesiveness across these two teams as they scale independently. Yeah. Right. So that whatever these guys do, however they build and you know uh, grow the technology from a firmware side. The analytics team need to know the behavior of the data, right? That's interesting. So what you're essentially saying is people need to be inquisitive and not work off of a ticket. Not work off a ticket and they actually need to kind of, you're correct. I mean, in the end, it's not about, you know, it's their team and my team. Not my job. Correct, not my job. Uh, And that's one of the things we've, uh, we've worked well that finally it's one whole solution. No matter what, it's not about getting that value out there to the customer or on the product. It's basically getting the right value out there, right? And um, and to get the right value, there are probably hundred things that you need to do. Just to you know show that one single value, and uh, and it's about ensuring that everyone in the organization is, you know, they are attuned to the fact that you have to do that. Mm. And uh, it's like, if if you're not getting the, the right thing out there, mm. then it's a critical issue. You know, when you have SLAs and um, there's something wrong. Yeah. If you have wrong data out there, that should be like the top priority thing. Everything else, drop that and ensure that you have the right data out there. But I'm sure you didn't reach this like in a day. You must oh, have your ups and downs. I mean, so how did um, you do it? Like, how did you? It's, I, it's always been about um, how we've also kind of engaged with customers. Okay. Right. Um, in the start, of course, you know, as we grew, uh, we were like this small company that uh, was building things and testing out things. So people were okay to say that, you know, this is wrong. Right. So what we did was, uh, what worked was for us was uh, with the customers, we used to have like WhatsApp groups. Yeah. Right. With everyone in their side, everyone from our side. And in fact, I'm still part of close to 100 WhatsApp groups. Uh, that is why you generally end up seeing I end up responding to you slightly late. Is <laughs> because uh, our top hundred customers, I'm generally there. Uh, all the others are there. Aman's there. Anup's there. You know, Jayshree's there. Um, because that is where we get a lot of input and feedback about behavior of the platform and the system. Okay. And uh, and that's what it's. We've continuously kind of got this feedback that this data doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, and then we've gone back and figured out. Where is the issue? Solve that problem. And over a, over a time period, it has improved significantly to such an extent that, um, uh, you know, the biggest validation for us is when our sales team or, you know, the account management team fight with the customer on the data. Mm-hmm. Fight to that extent. I'll, I'll tell you some of these scenarios. Uh, one of the algorithms that we have is uh, being able to raise fuel filling and theft alerts. And that uses the inbuilt OEM sensor. You you generally see when the fuel is filled, the you have the indicator that basically shows the level of the tank, right? So we use that and improve the accuracy of that sensor with some of the other data points, right? And that's where the whole digital twin philosophy kind of comes into place. Okay. Uh, we, we've filed a patent for it. We've actually got a patent in the US and India for that. Okay. Imagine someone who's basically operating the truck business for the last 20-25 years Mm. Uh, generally these guys have like a tie-up with a petrol pump close by Mm. and you know they have rates and everything kind of tied up for a customer we started we were raising these fuel filling alerts right the standard truck goes the fuel is filled based on the sensor we used to show a certain amount Mm. 
and uh, what the customers used to do was they used to kind of check that along with the receipt that they have okay so they for example uh, there were receipt for 300 liters and uh, what we used to show was somewhere around 250 liters being filled which means there's a gap of 50 liters and in the start this you know the customer like i don't agree with this you're showing absolutely incorrect data and all of that so we didn't really get to hear this mm. uh, because uh, the confidence that the sales and the account management team had mm. they just went ahead and said no this is correct um, we're 100% sure about this data mm. and finally what ended up happening was uh, finally the customer because our team was so um, confident about it mm. what the customer did was he basically whenever his trucks used to go he he'd gone there he parked his vehicle near the petrol station mm. and uh, he used to wait for uh, his trucks coming in mm. uh, see what happens and he actually saw that there were these cases where not the full amount was actually being filled there was some sort of a siphoning of the the fuel in some other way some other bucket or something like that and uh, and he was he was stunned he's like i've been you know i have a good relationship with this petrol for for the last 20 years mm. right and i did not really know this and it adds up right and it adds yes. up now imagine 50 yeah. liters this this was even around maybe two years back it was still at around 80 rupees a liter so that's 8000 with every filling yeah and for a vehicle that continuously runs they do filling nearly every other day and that's how the whole business use case has happened we've had customers who've been able to kind of make back their money in like one month Mm. and everything else is basically your profits for them and i think logistics is anyways a very operation intensive business so right. the more efficient it becomes right. the better for the bottom. it's i mean those numbers over there i mean i was recently uh, in australia mm. and uh, where uh, you know i was talking to them about improving efficiency on trucks and everything and there they run like 25 30000 kilometers a month okay mm. and what that uh, you know the, the maintenance in charge told me if you tell me that uh, if you do what you're doing okay uh, what you tell you're doing and uh, my trucks operate at on an average around 1.7 1.8 kilometers a liter if you help me improve let's just say my average is 1.7 <coughs> if you help uh, me get to 1.8 now imagine 1.7 to 1.8 kilometers mm. a liter difference yeah. i will save close to 15 to 20000 dollars a year on that single truck yeah right and that's it um and and that's what we've actually been able to do uh, using the data using the data working with them and yeah. you know telling these are the areas that you can improve mm. and uh, and that's how we've actually built that um, the the trust from the customer and also these uh, these customers who are like you know you have to you, you talked about the network effect right where one person uses it they get the benefit they start talking to the others mm-hmm. and that's how this whole thing kind of you know in a way not do out but that's how you know things happened yeah so we'll talk more about growth uh, tell me about the tech stack like what does that look like so the tech stack is uh, over a time period we've uh, you know primarily so we have node.js as primary uh, primary uh, technology 90% of the code base is in uh, node.js javascript and there are some aspects that we've uh, built using python so a lot of the different algorithms are built on python um from a peripherals perspective 
we we use RapidMQ as our queuing system. Uh, we've used Mongo as our database. We've also uh, uh, we've recently introduced uh, I don't know if you know something called a Sila DB, mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, kind of like an alternative to Cassandra, uh, built from scratch, uh, which they claim and we generally see a better performance improvement. Mm. Okay, and Elasticsearch and Redis. So these are the primary uh, pieces of uh, technology that we use. And interestingly, over the time period, you know, whenever I go out and talk to people, they ask these questions about, have you used this tool? You know, you, have you used Spark or have you used, you know, this big data solution? And I always kind of wonder whether, you know, we've been doing the right thing <laughs> because this, everyone else is using, you know, all of these different sure. technologies. Right? And I'm, I'm always at this point, you know, being the CTO, making these decisions. Yeah. I'm like, are we doing the right thing? But um I will spoil. It always comes down to the fact that I don't really see any issues with what we are doing, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, at some point in time, we may we may have to make changes to handle more scale, right? But I still don't really see why. For example, we have machine learning models that run. Now, for those machine learning models, we've built a lot of the tools ourselves, and not because probably something is not wholly out there. Mm-hmm. It's just um, you didn't need it. It's just from a very, I think, from a very thought process perspective, uh, across the company, what I see is, you know, with Madhasir, Aman, Eder, uh, there's this need of wanting to really understand how things work internally, right? And then whenever you're leaving some aspect, for example, building your machine learning models to some other third-party software where you don't really know what's happening under and, you know, below, uh, it becomes a bit of an issue because... Um, in the end, if we don't really know how the whole process works, mm. you don't really know what data is going to be generated. Mm. And like I said, that the from a you know 1.7 to 1.8, that whole difference makes a big impact on these guys. Right. Uh, we have to know uh, how the data is being generated, and so it just inherently happened that we ended up kind of uh, you know building a lot of these things ourselves. Yeah, and I think a number of things go into choosing the right frameworks and technology. Right. One of the things is like, is there a need for it? Does right. the business even need it? And right. of course, the other factors being, you know, team proficiency in those tools, like why pick something that you need to learn from scratch? Right. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's become um, sort of the other way around where people are choosing things just because... It's there. I mean, it's fashionable to basically... Yeah, fashionable, I think. Uh, but... The reasoning doesn't make sense. For me, it's always been like business first. Like, do Absolutely. I need this? Like, okay. is it do, is it even necessary for me to use this? Okay. Sometimes I just need, you know, a Heroku with a REST API. Correct. Correct. That's it. And and that's what, I mean, um, in the start, because no, most of our solution is on, on AWS at this point mm-hmm. in time. So, um, you know, we... Even from an AWS perspective, we don't really use any managed services. Okay. okay. Uh, we basically handle uh, all our databases, um, all of our services ourselves. Standard EC2 instances. Mm. We use um, ECS from a deployment of the Container, APIs and yeah. containers perspective. Um, and then we've also, for some, we've also kind of, because ECS doesn't give you like full control in some places, Yeah. we ended up using um, Nomad from HashiCorp. As a as a as a orchestration tool, and 
and one of the good decisions i think was um, using managed services would have become extremely uh, costly as we kind scale of, right and luckily from the start uh, you know we have kind of focused on building like a uh, a viable business it's not about you know spending money getting customers and not really making like profit out of it mm. right so uh, it's there's this whole every month you know we have this tracking that uh, you know what are what are our spends on the cloud what are our spends per device spent in the end you don't really want to get to the point of saying that every new device adding to the system you're losing money and that's building a lot of accountability a lot, that's amazing a lot i mean every point in time you know finally anup he's a ceo right any any time there's a spike i basically have to kind of tell him why is there a spike right mm. and uh, and it's been inbuilt from from the start mm. we have to build a viable business and the only way to do this we from day one we have to ensure that uh, we are profitable the whatever technology that we build makes sense I I can use all the cool things, right? It will probably make my life a lot more easier if I use managed services. Right. But then, if it's not really going to be viable from a cost perspective, then there is no use. No, and I don't hear people talk about this. By the way, yes. Um, you're one of the first people that I've met at least in the last two three quarters who's actually told me that we have a meeting that we discuss what we're doing, oh, yes. and that's so important. Right? Hey. If you let go, mm. right. This gets skyrocketed. Oh, I I remember there was one point in time where I did, mm. and it skyrocketed like crazy, <laughs> and uh, it took us some time to bring it back down, right? And as you mentioned, right, from a uh, not being a VC funded company, mm. right, all the money that we make from the business, you know, customers paying us goes back into the business. Yeah. Right. So you always have to be very clear or very sure about you know the spendings that you have. Right. Right. and uh, and especially in our case when we build our own hardware right so which means we design our hardware we design the firmware that goes on the hardware we also kind of manufacture these devices which means that we get all the components uh, we procure the components that then goes out to the manufacturers mm. so the procurement of the components itself is a heavy investment mm. and uh, so which means there is a cycle that especially when you know when covid and everything happened um component shortage was an issue right yeah. so which means that if we order right now it's there you don't really know when the next when that component is going to be available the next time right. which means we have to order for you know the next 7 8 months uh, in advance inventory mm-hmm. right so that's a big investment to do right now mm-hmm. which means we actually had to kind of control costs significantly because there is no other choice uh, you know on the com- component procurement side we have to do that and how does this typically work so i'm just shifting gears to learn more about the hardware side right um you get these components whatever they are and then you assemble them here locally why not get it completely built outside we i mean we've we've kind of thought about that and we've also tried that okay um where um the the whole thing with component the thing about components is um we get the components because we have built a lot of relationship with all of these different suppliers over a time period mm. good relationships mm. um, to a certain extent where someone like texas instruments has actually opened up like a whole fab lines for us okay based on you know our growth plans over the year and this is these are manufacturers outside india right so you're getting it from individual China. components okay. individual components would 
I mean, there are some that come from Italy, the some that surprisingly come from Brazil, oh, uh, right? And uh, and if you were to look at the 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 individual components on that whole piece, right? It's we have like this quad core uh, process. I mean, uh, philosophy or the design actually. The again, the reason for that approach is when you think about the device, it's on the vehicle. What does it have to do? It has to kind of interface with the vehicle to collect the data. Okay. Uh, it has to basically, at one point in time, stitch the data you know, from different sources. Um, there is this, there is this uh, component that basically connects to the server, maintains their connection to the server, mm. um, which ensures that the data is there, qualities, etc. There is this piece that continuously collects the, the GPS location. How does it do that? Is there like a mobile there is, SIM card? There is. So, um, so there are... For example, from a connection perspective, mm-hmm. uh, you know, server internet, we have a, a, a GSM module, okay, right? And uh, these modules are basically from different providers like QuickTel, Sierra. Okay. Uh, and uh, now these modules come, there's a SIM card that you can add. So uh, there are M2M SIM cards. So we have, we work again with different ISPs. And so these are M2M SIM cards, which means they work only uh, for like uh, specific service. So they're whitelisting, right. whitelisted endpoints that they only talk to. There is no voice or no, uh, you know, other things enabled over there. And so anyway, that's that's what it uses to uh, make connections. Mm. And uh, there are separate GPS antennas that are basically uh, put to kind of collect GPS so that we get accurate uh, GPS because apart from location, we use GPS to calculate distance as well. And customers okay. use those distance values for their own reporting as well. Right. Right. So, um, so these things have to be fairly accurate. And then there is the other pieces uh, which basically interface with the vehicle. Uh, modern vehicles now have like the CAN protocol. Uh, okay. They have these different protocols like J1939. Um, Auto ISO, you know, 15765, So these are all uh, SAE, so Society of Automotive Engineering defined protocols, okay. which manufacturers basically follow. Okay. And then, so some of them are, most of these are standard. And that's why we've also kind of, uh, you know, been able to kind of get a lot of these data because there are these standards mm. that manufacturers follow. Mm. Um, because we also kind of control the firmware, what data needs to be collected. There are these things about why we're also able to do what we do is because we are able to get to the vehicle, uh, you know, look at that particular data, collect that data and send it to the server. With any off-the-shelf devices, mm. you don't really control that, right? A Tata versus a Leyland versus a Bharat Benz, all of them have different means of or different ways through which they make the data available on the system or on the vehicle. And uh, we kind of uh, have custom-made uh, firmware for each module or each model of the vehicle. <laughs> That's interesting. So interesting segue into what I'm going to ask you next is the hardware piece here. Mm. I mean, with software, it's iterative, right? Like right. you release a new next one on the server, refresh. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. Uh, how do you do that with hardware? Is it like hundreds of SKUs or how does that work? Oh, I mean, um, we've we've had like Crazy iterations of hardware. I mean, mm. uh, it's just. I mean, it starts from the fact that we had like a first version, which was uh, <laughs> there was this there was this case where uh, 
you know, we did our first mass manufacturing. You know, for us, mass manufacturing is like 100 devices. So imagine okay. like way back in 2016. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got like this big order from Purple and, you know, we, we went, we did mass manufacturing, like 100 devices. We had a version of the hardware and we did a deployment. Now, at this point in time, all of us were deployment teams, which means we used to go to the bus in the middle of the night at 11. Mm. Because that was when it was available. Okay. <laughs> and during the day, it used to ply on the roads. Yeah. Right. So um, there's this interesting case where one of our employees, it was his his joining day was on Thursday. Right. At 12 a.m. in the night, I took him to the... <laughs> <laughs> to install the thing. So that's the first time anyone else met him. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so we went there and we did the deployment and suddenly those devices weren't working. Okay. Mm. And uh, now at that point in time, there was an issue where we decided to remove a certain component. Mm. Um, but when finally components and the design like bomb goes to the manufacturer, bomb is a bill of material. Okay. So it talks about all the components and even the position where those components would be mounted on the PCB. So because there was an issue with one particular component, it was basically, you know, red. I mean, it was marked as red. Now, the issue with the manufacturer was they didn't have a color printer. <laughs> so, he didn't mark it. <laughs> so, um, when he manufactured it, he didn't really see the red. He put the thing over there. Okay. So, he mounted a component, but from a PCB design perspective, it was made without that component. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we, I mean, that was, was like one of the funny failures. Of course, not funny when you're deploying it at 11 in the night and the devices aren't working. Right. Um, but I mean, we've over a time period, it's gone to the level where, uh, you know, we've we've actually with every new OEM and manufacturer that comes, we make we custom made the hardware for them. Okay, okay. so there is this whole iterative process. Hmm. So um, and so the hardware kind of the design starts from scratch. It takes a period of probably three to four months where the design happens, the testing happens, uh, the firmware is made for that. Um, there are a lot of these things about also handling the hardware and the behavior of the hardware as well on the field, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine the environment in which that hardware is there. I mean, it's basically in the the truck or the bus cluster, not really the most uh, comfortable of places, right? From a hardware yeah. perspective, uh, the devices kind of uh, the vehicles go to somewhere in, for example, Nathwada in Rajasthan where during summers, temperatures can reach close to 50, 51 degrees or so, okay. right? 49, 50 degrees. And, uh, or, you know, to somewhere to Leh Ladakh, where mm. it's colder. Mm. And uh, in the start, we again had these things where we used to glue things as part of our, uh, the the case design. Yeah. And in that part, I had the glue melting. <laughs> so, I mean, and those are the learnings we've had. And yeah. we moved on to automotive grade components, which is able to kind of, you know, take up to 80 to 90 degrees centigrade. And uh, so from a hardware perspective, we've evolved, you know, based on our understanding. But how frequent are these updates? I mean, I'm, I'm sure if you partner with an OEM and give them devices, you can't really change it tomorrow. You can't. But um, what and what has happened probably in the last uh, two to three years is since COVID has happened, and uh, with this whole supply chain and shortage of components, mm. what has again worked for us was uh, we've had a brilliant hardware design team. And, um, you know, rather than, you know, putting their hands up and basically kind of saying that there are no components, what can I do? They used to basically go to the site and see what is available. Oh, this is available. 
I'll probably make my design according to that. So they change designs uh, based on the component availability, right? And uh, so for one version of hardware, uh, there are probably four different designs available. So that depending on what is what components going to be available, that can actually be built and sent out. Why it's necessary is because, as you mentioned, with manufacturers, they need the device so that they can basically say the vehicle is assembled. Because our hardware is, it's like a part code on the vehicle. So which means that it has to be there for the vehicle to go out of the assembly line, pass inspection, and then go to the customer. Which means if a component is not there, the vehicles cannot be sold. Oh, interesting. Right. So, um, and so to ensure that we maintain the supply, uh, we had to kind of do a lot of these things. And because there would be different product, like hardware product types for different OEMs, right. how does the software handle that? Because there might be changes in terms of data, fault codes, etc. That is true. Uh, in fact, so there is this common, uh, common software, which is basically, which does you know communication with the server and the GPS collection. So that is not specific to the vehicle model, but that is specific to the hardware, the version of the hardware. But now, when devices go out to the customer, we've actually also built this whole process so that, you know, when the sales team um, place an order, they have to place an order mentioning what model of vehicle is, you know, this device going to be deployed on. And then, and then we've actually built this whole tool where the sales team puts this order, this order then goes to our assembly team. So our assembly team actually uh, understands that this is the order that I have. These are the number of devices that I have mm. uh, for each particular device as well. When they start the whole process, uh, they uh, we've built this tool as well that basically, you know, you connect it to the laptop with the tool over there. It does the automated testing. The firmware loading also happens over there and that is connected with our sales system. So each model of vehicle that those select has a firmware associated with it based on the hardware version. It gets automatically uh, deployed on the on the firmware or on on that uh, hardware, and uh, then it goes through the QC process. We had to build our own uh, a whole cupboard of simulators, right? So which simulates the vehicle cam, and then once the device is kind of assembled, it's kept overnight for testing to do like long running testing, mm. and then uh, even those tests that are basically run has to be recorded because those QC stickers and have to be printed, which would then go to the customer because from a OEM perspective, if there is any failure, you should be able to kind of go back to the starting point of when, what batch and everything. So we built all of this in-house. Um, and again, not because we wanted to, but because we, we went out there to figure out what's available. And um, based on how we operate, we couldn't really find anything which was very cohesive. So we ended up kind of building it over a time period. And that's the right way to do it, right? You're looking at what's available. It doesn't fit your right. need. And then you go and build right. it, which is the right reason to. Um, <clears throat> so that's great. So um, talk to me about like building a team now versus before. Like how are you looking at people now? Because I'm sure that has changed. Exactly. Well. So um, in the start, it was... Uh, the kind of people that we, you know, ended up hiring. And I also I also think that we were also lucky to kind of get those people in the start. Um, 
It's because it's it's about the thought process. Where with everyone, it's you know like we talked about. It's about the why. You know, understanding what is the end solution that we're building, and kind of reversing back to what do I need to do right now? Build this individual component right now, and kind of so that I'm able to meet that end goal. So they were inherently motivated. With inherently motivated. Yeah. And luckily, uh, we've also not, you know, had uh, these these team members that we've had um, who have said, you know what, why don't we use this because this is the in thing, right? Uh, they're like, fair enough. If not this, then let's look for something else with works for us. Um, and interestingly, I mean, over a time period, it boils down to like infrastructural cost but when we we process close to six six and a half billion data points on a daily basis right now okay um there is this uh there would probably be this one line of code that would be running six billion times a day right yeah um now imagine writing an if else statement yeah okay so for someone to um know that this if else statement is going to be executing there are probably five different ways of writing that whole switch case and if else and all of that conditional, uh, you know, processing. Um, knowing that what process or what condition is basically going to be running most of the time, right. you know, we we've, we've tried to get out of the process of keeping the the most occurring condition right up there at the top, so that from an execution cycle we have lesser number of conditions that are checked for. Okay. And because that, in the end, it's lesser resources, lesser compute costs, and all of that. Sure. Okay. So we've we've been able to kind of hire people who've you know thought about all of this in the start, right? From a base perspective, um, these are the people who uh, you know used to build this from a future you know scale in that perspective, mm-hmm. right? And that's where the base technology is built. And that's why you you want to have people who are very creative, you know. You, you know, you don't really want uh, them, you go to them and like, this needs to be done. Uh, they just, you know, <laughs> and having a thing, okay, fine, I'll figure it out rather than, you know, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys used to basically say, fair enough, you know, I'll get there. Whatever you've told me I need to do this, I'll figure it out how to get there. Mm-hmm. And doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you define that right? The right way, like I said, is... Um, it's it's basically understanding the use case, okay. Um, over a time period, there are these philosophies that we've built, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now these philosophies are, as an example, in this one of some of them are standard, uh, you know, uh, software development philosophies where code has to be reusable. Um, something has to make sense, right? As, as an example, example we, we what we did was we built this. Uh, a part of our platform, we build these different consumers. From a philosophy, we said that one consumer, okay, should be responsible for doing only one thing. Okay. So when data comes in, we will have like one parser. The responsibility of the parser is only going to be parsing and nothing else. Mm. Okay. Then we have a data store, we have a trip decider, and we have a notifications checker. Probably that made things a little more complicated because I would have Right now, I have like 50 to 60 different consumers, right? But um, I'm able to scale all of them individually. So whenever anything is kind of implemented, the first thought process kind of comes from, 
uh, what approach makes sense um, you know what's the right way to do this and uh, and it starts from there and then uh, we kind of move on and we've also learned what's the right way as in you know when the technology scales and probably fails as well and uh, and over a time period now what's happened is we've ended up um developing some of these tools internally as an example we have developed an entangles sdk and okay. uh, what that sdk does is it actually it takes away the whole underlying uh, store interface away from the person that is developing it so something like, like for example if you look at the system as a mix of entities and relationships mm-hmm. right and then you write the logic over it of how these entities kind of relate with each other you don't have to worry about how and where those things are stored okay um so we've automatically kind of built these things where an entity is like meta okay underlying meta has a completely different database but for someone who's going to write logic over meta they don't really have to worry about where yeah. it is stored yeah. Yeah. or how the underlying data is maintained yeah. Yeah. or how for example the what we call the generated data the generated data is the data that is generated from the vehicle like simple things like an alert or things like that those would be stored and handled differently so someone that is generating the alert doesn't really have to worry about where and how it is stored so and that's how we've built this sdk where you just define that this is the entity and this is some basic information about it underlying it will handle about how to store it where to store it and all of it so and that's something that we've developed over a time period so initially we required people to basically kind of build this right right, right. Um, now a lot of the work if we see because the product has matured the kind of request and the kind of work that we have becomes some of the work is very boilerplate code <laughs> boilerplate kind of work so uh, you want to be able to hire someone who's good at that for example i don't think i am good at um, doing your standard day to day activities when i say day to day activities which means that a request comes in figuring out what needs to be done and implementing it without really getting into how and when and things at scale and things like that because if i start doing that i'll probably spend a lot more time thinking about that whole piece rather than implementing this this task that has come so from a hiring perspective that's been a major change uh, where depending on the role that you that you want you would want to hire someone who you know will do that job well right uh will you know pick up the task get it done and move on versus someone who you know pick up a task delve you know delve too much deep into it figure things out sometimes it's unnecessary and uh, and then you know take it in a very completely different direction right so you've sort of created an abstraction correct and you now need sort of people who are specialized in Correct. Certain areas to come and just get the job. Oh yes, yes. correct. Correct. Which is true. I mean, yes. Actually, when we when we built the whole thing, you actually put it very well. When we built the whole thing, we had a lot of generalists, right? Someone who picks something up and try to figure that out and solve it, right? Yeah. It could be like different areas of the product. Correct. Right. As we grow, now that we have these different sections very well defined, you would want specialists in this particular area. would probably not look at the other piece mm. right because um if they do it's maybe not their area of expertise or um, 
if they do, then they're probably not uh, thinking too much on this particular side. So, uh, which means one particular piece, specialists in that area, specialists in this area, and ensure, of course, they communicate with each other very well. Yeah. But that's that's the kind of hiring that we've moved into at this point. Fantastic. Okay. What about decision-making? I'm sure you've, the decision-making has changed a lot from when you were doing, you know, MVP, where it's like quicker, okay, yeah, let's try this, let's try that, it didn't work, let's right. figure it out, versus things that have now got like a domino effect, where you need to think 10 times before you do something. Um, what are some of the tough decisions that you had to make? And what are some of the decisions that you thought were tough, but ended up being very easy? Decision making, um, when, I, when, when I started, you know, when we started in Tangles, right? I, I think inherently, you know, as I've grown up, um, I've not been a very good decision maker. Uh, and uh, so if you were to, um, you know, talk to, you know, some of the others like Haman, Mother sort of been there from the start. Um, I think they would be able to tell you that I used to, when you know, at this point in time, when someone comes and asks a question, at that point in time, you know, six, seven years back, I used to say, I'll think and get back to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And because uh, my whole thing was, we're building something over here. I need to kind of look at all those different scenarios and et cetera and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but at least one of the good things I realized was it's always about getting down and getting it done. Right. Especially when it's MVP, right. Oh, yeah. You just want to get it done. Right. You, you look at the topmost things that come to you in mind at that point in time and just move on. So I think it took me a couple of months to kind of get into that mode. So, you know, decisions were after that, you were like, okay, just get it, get this done, get it out there, get this done, get it out there. And that has honestly helped because, uh, you know, you need to kind of make changes on the fly. When you're talking to someone and you realize, you know, this is not right. Mm. Probably whatever that we decided sometime back from an approach and algorithm perspective is not working. Make a change right now. Right. Right. That, as you said, that worked well before because the kind of customer base that we had was less. And, uh, you know, if there are minor things here and there, uh, they would be okay to kind of handle it. But as we've grown big, each decision at this point in time has to be very well thought, mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, the, there's a recent case. We made this minor change uh, on a particular page, right? Which was targeting a customer, a customer segment, not even a customer, customer segment. Now, the same page is actually used internally, let's just say by a finance team. Okay. 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 And we made the change and the finance team basically, you know, went deserved, like, what is this and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point in time, we realized that a minor change over here has like multiple effects and multiple people are affected by it. Yeah. And even for that's, you know, from a customer base, but if we end up having an issue on the platform where we're processing like 6 billion data points on a daily basis, the, the cascading and the domino effects over there are significant. One minor change can have an impact on how data is generated and that impact would start now, which means that data generated would probably be incorrect right now mm. and we might not be able to see it mm. we probably see that as queries from the customer probably four or five days later yeah, yeah. right so which means that four or five days you've you've been generating wrong data and maybe people haven't really seen that yeah. so um, and so building this whole testing team and 
automated testing and you know to ensure that this minor change that you do has to go through this whole cycle mm. of testing just to ensure that you know the end product or the end goal is same that's it and we're not fully there we probably maybe i think 25 to 30% there okay <laughs> right um and because it's a it's a thought process in thought process change is a philosophy change um something i've realized that i i personally have to move from an mvp thought to you know probably a slightly bigger company in a mature company mature product thought process mm. and uh, and if i don't really change then no one else is going to do it no but th- i think that's the journey right growth as you are growing right. so will the people around you and right. the whole organization and as long as that's up it's good it is and it took me some time to figure that out <laughs> because um, we have you know from a technology the perspective um, i've had an opinion of how things should be done okay uh, where even to that extent where you know people from outside when i say people from outside it could be like the sales team or uh, even from other departments they said that we should do this and i have been very adamant about not doing it because it just doesn't seem right so even when it comes to the reason i mean so a thought process change means that when i have to involve all of these processes right right from the development to the testing um the issue with this according to me is it probably makes the whole life cycle of a release much more longer yeah right? yeah uh, but, but then of course it ensures stability correct right i've as you know one of those uh, early when you you building technology like i know what things work and what things don't work right so my whole thing is getting things out there as quickly as possible so adding a process which delays this whole thing was something i i initially i wasn't really too you know keen on doing that i'm like it just somehow this whole thought process is that it'll make my organization or my team bureaucratic and ye tab hoga aisa hoga and i mean a lot of that but i've realized over a time period that it's the right thing to do because in the end when you have uh, thousands of people who are basically using your product to make decisions about their business you need to ensure that your product is stable right so um, and it's something that i uh, you know i've moved on to and and we're moving towards that now yeah that's that's amazing it's amazing to see that sort of mindset change yeah. and the truth is your team goes through it with you yeah yeah absolutely you know uh, your going from a culture where it's okay to break anything right. to be responsible oh, yes. you know right. uh, and everybody starts thinking about the same thing and i mean just to kind of talk about uh, how we've put certain things in perspective to ensure responsibility one was when anything was broken we started off that the team would like order order donuts for everyone yeah right so that was like the the standard thing but what we thought was i mean donuts is basically for the team the people who are affected is everyone else yeah right i mean imagine the sales person the account manager who's in front of the customer you know facing him and uh, just to give you an example we have bus operators who uh, use the location tracking uh, on something like red bus okay so on red bus when you book a bus uh, the location that you see for a lot of those customers are from the device and from us okay okay so when location tracking stops real time location tracking stops for that particular vehicle red bus basically decreases the the score for that bus 
which means when someone is searching for the bus, they come down. Oh, in the list. In the list. Oh, okay. And these guys lose business. Oh. Right? And so, which means that, again, anything that we do over here has that kind of a business impact on these guys. Okay. So, which means we have to, and we've evolved or we have changed the architecture of the system um, initially because we were, you know, people used to test us. So, we were the secondary device. We wanted to be the primary device. People had their location tracking system and they're like, we'll use you additionally to keep a track of the performance, etc. Where in the last two years, suddenly we became the only device, which means that they depend, they got dependent on the data that we provide to them significantly. And for us as well, we also had to change our thought process that a small downtime doesn't really matter to, you know, this is crucial, meaning that uh, it's a sin breaking real-time update of location. Mm. Now, for that to happen, we actually had to make architectural changes just to ensure that if anything else is on fire, the real-time location does not get updated or affected. Mm. So, um, and anyway, to kind of get onto that, um, we started this process where we used to, if there is any incident, on that day, we would send out an incident report to everyone in the company. What went wrong? Why did it go wrong? And what is it that we're going to do to avoid it in the future? Which is making, because this is going to everyone, right? Right from the, you know, the person who's basically doing the assembly on the line, you know, to the salesperson, to the account accounts team and everyone. Now that we are accountable, you kind of have to ensure that you, you, you do not have to send that email again in the future. Yeah. Right. So, and these are these things that we've kind of, uh, you know, added to bring accountability. Yeah. How has uh, sales grown for you without, how, how did it turn into a process and a pipeline? Like, what did you guys do to organically get people to you hmm. uh, after you having to, you know, talk to a few people and say, here I am, use my thing. Um, versus to now like how is how has it become a process so okay um and in the start of course everyone everyone in the company was a salesperson right they used to go out to the customer pitch sell figure out what's not working come back build it go back to them right and as and when we kind of added uh, like the sales team and the account management team um we uh, there were these processes about first who do you get in touch with so what kind of customers? And that's something that we learned. And even from a customer perspective, which person in their organization do you get in touch with? Okay, so as an example, you know that 100 to 150 customer fleet size that I talked to you about. Someone who's bigger than that would not really give any, uh, you know, time and how, basically to someone like Entangles at that point in time, because we want to know one. Right. Uh, for, you know, there's this uh, customer who basically had like 1,500 trucks. He's a customer right now. So we, out of those 1,500, we've pretty much covered the whole fleet at this point in time. He would need a lot more proof Correct. from other people that, oh, he's also using it, etc. And, and they, uh, people that get in touch with them, they, they have like thousands of other suppliers from different people who want to talk to them, right? So we have one of those thousand. So... In the start, it was about trying to get to the right set of people. And it was a learning. You know, we used to go to everyone and we used to, you know, it's like in the start with sales, it's about probably throwing on the wall, see what sticks, looking at what sticks and figure out why did it stick and then using that process with everything else, right? So, um, and that's what happened. 
initially our big uh, customer base was uh, red bus bus operators and that also was very interesting like i said we send red bus uh, data from us from our gps devices uh, data went to them they did their own analysis and they said that from all the operators you seem to have the best data throughput okay and they met us at some some stall somewhere i mean some exhibition somewhere they were walking around we were there like oh entangles you know this this is what this is what we did this is what our team did uh-huh. and uh, then that's how we got in touch with them and uh, we built a partnership with red bus and they started promoting this to their bus operators because data reliability is good from red bus perspective even from red bus perspective if they're able to promote a bus which doesn't break down in the middle of the road for their customers right so then that's how they went out and reached to customers and that's how the whole bus market kind of grew and again one customer tried word of mouth the other person tried and that's how it all started now this was before covid in covid buses basically kind of stopped operating uh, they they went through a slightly you know a, a bad time yeah. in the start yeah around that time we basically uh, went live with one of the other oems uh, vehicle manufacturers and uh, that's where the the truck segment for us kind of you know started off because uh, a big portion of this oem they they manufactured trucks and so through them uh, we basically kind of and their customers who used to buy these trucks uh you know we used to basically reach out to their customers and tell them you know what you have a product okay which is free of cost why don't you use it we'll show you how you use it and then they used to use it get the benefit out of it and that's how you, they used to uh, put this device on their other fleet which they already have mm. and uh, and that's how this whole thing kind of moved on where then our team kind of started this whole process that reaching out to these customers talking to them and and that's where that's how we built this whole team Mm. and so at this point in time uh, we have like close to 20 sales people across the country uh, different regions they reach out to the customer um, we've built uh, we've actually over a time period we've built a brand and so now for a lot of the customers it's about uh, working in terms of how they can make use of this particular data or the system to ensure that they they get the benefit out of it one interesting piece is as and when we were focusing on these uh, bus operators and some of the truck operators initially they took this feedback to the vehicle manufacturers because vehicle manufacturers used to they did provide their own system um which they you know asked the operators to use but then we gave them a lot more data a lot more effective data and so they always used to go back to the fleet uh, to the the fleet operator used to go back to the manufacturer say why don't you look at this and that's how we are in this process of converting a lot of the other oems and for each one that's that's where the starting point has been these fleet operators yeah. they go to the manufacturer their customer is telling them correct yeah right and and then we've had like i said we've had use cases that we work with some of the oems and we've helped them one improve you know their whole design process and philosophy uh, significantly because now imagine you have data for vehicles on the field across india and it's it's a playground for them you know looking at the behavior of data for a vehicle in rajasthan or for a vehicle somewhere in you know the the northeast side or somewhere in leh ladakh and uh, and they're able to kind of also make certain changes even they do firmware and those changes which get updated on the ecu which has an impact on the behavior of the vehicle 
They're able to make, make those updates and then test out the behavior of those updates across the country as well. So their whole design process used to be probably six to seven months before. We've helped them reduce it down to like three months now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like I talked about reducing the warranty costs and everything. So this has gone as an input to the other OEMs and everyone else where um, now it's not, I mean, a lot of the selling point is not about trying to convince someone about the value. It's, um, it's convincing someone how they can go about taking the value. Right. right. So the whole, the, the sell process is, is slightly different now, which means that you don't go to, it's not about saying that these are the benefits that you get based on the brand name and the feedback. People know the benefits are there. Um, where they have probably a concern, an issue and trying to convince them is uh, whether they will be able to make changes in their operations, in their system to take the benefit of the data. Mm. So that, that whole thought process change uh, has been there. That's amazing. What's next now? What's next for Entangles? What next year, five years look like? So at this point in time, a big focus for the for the coming year is actually going to be one the product is stable right uh, but the journey from let's just say we've gone from zero to one or maybe 1.5 at this point in time but from 1.5 or 2 to 10 okay um, it's not fully about the product but is also about the peripherals which means to ensure like i said to ensure that the customer or anyone gets a benefit out of it I need to be able to have my whole, you know, support team in place. The, uh, what we call as customer service excellence, which is, you know, queries come in, being able to answer that on time. If there are issues, resolving those on time. If there are requests from large customers, you know, catering to those requests and ensuring that they feel that, uh, you know, they're getting something out of it. So the base product is there, but there is this everything around where uh, we need to focus a lot more on that um, there is this whole piece around knowledge transfer to others in the organization uh, learning training and learning about the product it's a complex product right so ensuring that if there's someone new who comes on board they're able to understand this so a lot a lot of energy and focus is actually going to be in this and of course expansion outside of india because uh, in the last one, one and a half year, what we've been able to validate is uh, there is a need for the same product outside of India as well. Now, initially, we used to think that, uh, you might think of the, you know, the, uh, the, the developed countries, and you think that something like this would exist over there. But interestingly, it's not. And a lot of these places have kind of stuck to, uh, they were pioneers when it comes to, you know, telematics or IoT. 15, 20 years back. But then they've ended up like sticking to that particular piece. They've not really moved on. And so when we went and talked about it, um, you know, everyone's like, you know, when are you coming over here? So, <laughs> so it's exciting. Uh, it, there is excitement. Now for us to get there, then we need to go through this whole process of device certification. Right. Right. right? So because we build our hardware, which yeah. means we have to do all of the certification. Right. And, and that's honestly been a learning for us because that requires standardization of devices we couldn't really just go back make a change and you know get that done so which means that the team had to standardize the device because that device would go in for certification mm. now certification isn't really a cheap 
process. There, there is a significant cost associated with it. So which means we can't really like get one thing done, make a change and do that again. So, and and that's compliances is something that we've, you know, worked on and are doing. Mm. And once that is done, we can actually start off our whole sales and everything outside of India. Okay. And we've, we've actually already got like a partner, uh, one of our large oil and gas companies uh, where we've, you know, signed a contract with them. And with them, we're actually expanding to different countries, like seven to eight countries. We're already doing a POCs and live in some of them. And uh, once this whole certification piece is done, it'd be actually kind of, you know, putting into the next gear and scaling, uh, scaling yeah. it over there. Well, that is fantastic. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I've had a lot to learn. Very interesting conversation. I, I don't come across a story which is as unique as yours. But uh, yeah, thanks for dropping by. And uh, uh, before I end this and we uh, we stop here, I wanted to request everyone who's listening, if you could please share this with a friend, if you found this interesting and help us spread the word. Great. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Um, it's been good. It's been nice interacting with you and, you know, going through this, this whole <laughs> thing again. So it's been a fun reflection on things right now. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun doing it as well. So thanks. Thanks for coming. Great. Thank you. Thank you.